To say one waits a lifetime for his soulmate to come around is a paradox. People get sick of waiting around, but the art of commitment is a saw that eventually cuts. It was 1983, and 18 months passed since the mysterious world of Buster Lee began. New characters have come on the scene. Things have changed for the better. Overwhelmed by success, Neely Cairo hired 20-year-old Mayella Williams as a personal assistant. Williams is psychic. She can remote view, but she has a long way to go. New, too, is wannabe celebrity and know-it-all 13-year-old Venture Falls. Joan Reynolds' niece ventured dreams of a career as a model, actress, and singer. Last but not least is a part-time surfer, child of privilege, and bon vivant, Mutt Keep News. He's driven, ambitious, and lacks an empathy chip. But Mutt Keep News is so movie star handsome, so dope, he's stopped every day by strangers who want his John Henry. Set your calendar to 1983, and welcome to part two of season one of The Mysterious World of Buster Lee. After graduating from Harvard, Supa Maidar led the underground resistance in Bokisa, the tiny island nation north of Australia. We cannot understand Supamidar unless we understand the deadly Mustabees. Bred as a bioweapon by our freedom-hating enemies in the 1970s, Mustabees were the misguided result of crossing vicious African bees with friendly Italian bees. The resulting brood, as discovered, was toxic. When agitated, a swarm of Mustabees could slay a beast as big as an elephant in minutes. Masquerading as sanitation workers in 1975, enemy agents released 200,000 Mustabees in the greater Los Angeles metropolitan area. The Mustabees began their reign of terror by infiltrating every hive they saw and murdering the queen. One by one, the hives were repopulated, and a year after seizing control of Los Angeles, the Mustabees migrated up the Pacific coast to Oregon. As anyone who knows anything about the Northwest, honey is a staple of Oregon's economy. But there's something else you need to know. Buster Lee, junior head detective from International Investigators, was born on a commune in Oregon. One afternoon when he was a boy, Buster Lee wandered into Odin Midar's bee farm. All was swell until Buster Lee poked one of the Mustabee-inhabited hives with a stick and set off a swarm of enraged Mustabees. If not for Odin's son, nine-year-old Supa Maidar, Buster Lee would have been finished right then and there. Wearing protective bee clothes and carrying a bucket of lemony water, Supa Maidar stunned the swarm of savage bugs, buying time for Buster Lee to dash in Odin's car and shut its doors. From that day on, and without a single bite, Buster Lee would forever be in Supa Maidar's debt. Two weeks ago, International Investigations received a worrisome telegram. It simply said, Help me, help me, in trouble, stop. Come to Bokisa. It was signed, Supa Maidar. Without hesitation, Buster Lee put his team of investigators on alert. 
he called Lars LaGuardia, the master of masquerade. Mutt Keepnews, archetypal New York City trust fund kid, and Beck the miniature blue healer. Wearing a Harrington jacket over a button-down shirt, chinos the color of a walnut, and a scuffed old pair of bucks, Buster Lee jumped on his Italian-made scooter and with his team headed to the Butler Seaplane base near the site of the 1939 World's Fair. Once aboard the Sea Otter and prepping to take off, Buster Lee eyeballed the billboard behind the control tower. There was an advertisement for a strange new gizmo. On the billboard was a man holding a black box with a telephone handset attached. The headline said, Welcome to a world of wireless miracles with Finch wireless phones. Perched on the man's shoulder was a Finch with a breadstick in its beak. Holy 15-footer, said Buster Lee. Who wants to lug around a phone glued to a boombox? I wonder what it weighs. Snug in the pilot's seat, Buster Lee got the green light from the air traffic control tower. With Lars, Mutt, and back in the back, he throttled the engines and started his takeoff. Three minutes later, the refurbished 1939 Sea Otter flying boat took to the sky and roared west, very west, eventually beyond California and Hawaii to a cluster of little-known islands north of Australia, known as the Bokisa Nation. The Mysterious World of Buster Lee, presented by Adam Ive. Born to a French-American couple of honey farmers in Bokisa, Supamidar grew up there in winter. Summers he spent in America at his parents' bee farm in Oregon. After high school, Supa went to Harvard. After Harvard, Supa returned to Bokisa to rebuild the nation recently leveled by a military coup and tsunami. Supa lost his mama and daddy in the coup. Being successful bee farmers, they were seen as enemies of the state and were disappeared. A long journey with numerous stops, Buster Lee's sea otter finally landed and docked at Bokisa Seaplane Base. Clearing customs without opening his passport, Buster Lee and his team took a taxi to Hotel Bokisa, where they checked in, dropped off their luggage, and prepared for the investigation. Trading his beloved khaki jacket and slacks for a wig, grass skirt, and looking like a savage, Lars, dressed as a native, quietly slipped into the jungle. Mutt Keepnews, a master of hiding in plain view, dressed as a surfer, scouted the beach for evidence of trouble. Fearing a dull assignment ahead, Mutt brought a copy of the Futurist magazine to occupy his mind. In the meanwhile, Buster Lee and Beck cabbed to Supa Midar's house of cobra snakes. Although an experienced super sleuth, Buster Lee didn't see he was being followed by a stranger.
plucking a ukulele and wearing a loincloth like Tarzan was Maui Cipriani, a thin, young, happy-go-lucky native. The sign behind Maui said, Welcome to Supamidar's House of Cobra Snakes. Buster Lee looked at the savage masks that adorned the walls, but stopped at one of the six huge glass and steel terrariums filled with live, deadly cobra snakes, some as long as 30 feet. Possessed by some kind of island madness, the cobras hissed as Buster Lee leaned in closer to examine them. Kept alive by heat lamps and a steady diet of uncooked meats, Buster Lee pointed to the creatures and said, Let me foundation this for you. There are men in America who would pay a pretty penny for cobras this big and fearless. And speaking of America, is Supamidar in today? As Buster Lee spoke, the man who followed him appeared. Maui Cipriani leaped out of his skin and said to Buster Lee, We closed, we closed, you come back later, mister. Now go, go now, you must leave. Sidestepped, Buster Lee tipped his sun hat back and said, I'm a friend of Supamidar's. I'm Buster Lee from International Investigators. Putting down the ukulele, Maui Cipriani changed his tone. Of course, Buster Lee, the investigator, son of super psychic Neely Cairo. Everyone has heard of you, but you must leave now. Come back when sun is gone. Come back when sun is gone. Where was Supamidar? And who was the man following Buster Lee? After stopping by Supa Midar's House of Cobra Snakes, Buster Lee headed back to the hotel and picked up the local newspapers on the way. At the hotel, Buster Lee regrouped with Mutt and Lars. Together, they thumbed through the papers. There was plenty of stuff. Soccer, road closures, obituaries, international stories, divorces, weddings, births, lottery numbers, shipping news, but nothing about Supa Midar or his whereabouts. It's mighty strange, said Mutt. It's as if there's a blackout on Supamidar. A policeman entered. He held a rifle in his hand. Buster Lee, Lars, and Mutt stood. Beck ambled toward the intruder and sniffed. Are you with Buster Lee? said the policeman. The boys nodded. Then all of you must come with me to police headquarters. Buster Lee, Mutt, Keep News, and Lars looked at each other and shrugged. The cop pumped the tip of his rifle into good-looking Mutt's chin. Without a word, and not wishing to be hurt, they left. Back, the super pooch, went with them. Born in Jakarta, raised under a gospel of authoritarian dictate, the now 72-year-old Colonel Peak was ahead of all that was illegal and unsavory in Bokisa. As Buster Lee, head-turning Mutt Keep News, and Lars, wearing a grass dress, entered the office, an attractive young girl in a buttercup yellow ensemble effortlessly floated by. Buster Lee wondered who she was. Colonel Peak looked at Buster Lee and said, What is your reason for coming to Bokisa? Buster Lee said, Tourist. Colonel Peak asked again, why is Supa Maidar the first person you wanted to meet when you came to Bokisa? He's an old friend, said Buster Lee. Turning as red as a beet, Peek said, You silly bunt, 
He's running a cult. He's a barbarian. Supamidar has succumbed to the past. He has been drawn back to the savagery of his tribe. The barbarity is breathtaking. Buster Lee grew angry. You've gone crazy, he said. Opening a drawer, Colonel Peak removed a jewel-encrusted dagger, a voodoo doll, and a shrunken head. These activities were believed to have vanished, but under Supamidar's leadership, the tribe has brought them back. Now why did you want to see Supamidar? Buster Lee said. To be honest, I heard he had giant cobras for sale. Colonel Peak said. The government confiscated Supamidar's cobras today, but maybe I'll help you anyway. Opening another drawer, Eek held up three envelopes and held them under Buster Lee's eyes. Here are three letters of transit. They will permit you safe travel out of Bokisa. Now leave, Buster Lee. Leave before I change my mind. After checking for messages with the front desk, Buster Lee took the elevator to his floor. Entering the darkened suite, Buster Lee saw the pretty girl from the police station. Still dressed in her buttercup yellow ensemble, she was lying on a chaise lounge reading a magazine called News of Tomorrow. Looking at an article in the publication, the young thrush said, According to this magazine, one day someone will make a TV channel with nothing but cats. Who would want to watch a channel like that, right? Tossing the magazine aside, and looking plaintively away, she said, You must be from International Investigators, Buster Lee said. Who are you? Pointing a small pink ladylike pistol with matching silencer at him, the honey of a girl said, My name is Variety Feelmore. I'm here at the request of my fiancé, Colonel Peak. He tells me you want to buy cobras, giant cobras. Perhaps I can help. My father owns half the island. He raises cobras, thousands of them. But it's a lonely business. He longs to speak with an American again. Standing up, Variety, holding the pistol, walked toward the door. On her way out, she handed her calling card to Buster Lee and said, Why don't you come to the plantation tonight? We're having a soiree. I think you like my father and my fiancé. Buster Lee nodded politely and closed the door. After spending midday at the beach, the fetching Mutt Keep News and Sunburnt Lars met Buster Lee at the hotel. When the sun came down, they took a taxi to Supamidar's House of Cobras. The lights were off, the shades drawn. In the shadows, Mutt saw the unmistakable outline of a cadaver. It was Maui Cipriani, motionless, lying belly down. A jewel-encrusted dagger, large enough to take down a great white shark, protruded from Cipriani's muscular back. Mutt pulled the dagger from the boy's lifeless torso, one excruciating inch at a time. Buster Lee lit a candle. Examined in the dim light, the dagger was ancient and exotic. It looks priceless, said Lars. But there was something weird about the scythe, something familiar about the small logo buried in the handle. Buster Lee reached into his pockets and plucked out the calling card Variety Feelmore gave him earlier that day. Without a word, Mutt handed the dagger to Buster Lee. Holding the card in one hand, 
and the weapon in the other. The logo on the card and the logo on the dagger were one and the same. Holy Oleo. Built on the backs of indentured servants in the early days of Bokisa's colonization, Feelmore Plantation was impressive. As planned, Buster Lee, Mutt, Lars, and Beck went to the estate and met Variety and her father, Albert. A mute servant in a white servant's jacket poured drinks. Albert Feelmore looked at attractive Mutt Keep News and said, Sometimes a young man's blood boils and he wants to return to the jungle. Mutt said, take the death of Maui Cipriani. He died primitively. That was because Supa Maidar wants to destroy the progress we made, Colonel Peak said. Albert chimed in. Colonel Peak is right. A few more outbreaks like that and this part of the island will become a basket of the deplorable. Buster Lee asked, what happened? Colonel Peak said, no one knows. We expect native outbreaks, but they become quite more frequent and violent. But you're not convinced what we say about Supa Maidar, are you, Buster Lee? Perhaps I can show you proof. Why is proving anything to me important? said Buster Lee. Because you're American. Your opinions are important to us. Buster Lee said, I'd love to see what you've got on Supa Maidar, Colonel Peak. All of it. While Buster Lee and company made nice-nice at Variety Fieldmore's plantation soiree, loud banging started. Everyone ran outside to see what was happening. In a nearby clearing, a mob of natives chanted hypnotically and waved creepy shrunken heads and daggers in the air. Colonel Peak turned to Buster Lee and whispering said, shrunken heads, voodoo, and firewalking were extinct on this part of the island. Once the natives got themselves into a state of catatonia, there follows the work with shrunken heads. All we can do is keep them in the jungle and capture Supa Maidar. The natives stomped barefoot on hot coals. The air was filled with the odor of burning flesh. Shaking his cane, Variety's father Albert said, the firewalk turns them into barbarians. We better get home. We don't want to poke the bear. Arriving at the front gates of Fieldmore Plantation, Buster Lee told the others to go ahead. I need time alone to think, he said. They say dogs have masters and cats have staff. With Beck the Super Pooch at his side, Buster Lee retraced his steps back to where he had first seen natives. There must be an explanation. Buster Lee couldn't believe the natives crossed the time barrier. And there it was, the time barrier, time travel, the time-space continuum. At the end of the trail, Buster Lee found the fire pit, now empty. Ten steps away and slumped over was a body. The man's feet were charred like s'mores, poking the sleeping native's eyelids with a stick. It was clear the native had succumbed to an ancient potion. Buster Lee and Beck went to the pond to fetch some water. Upon their return, the native was gone. 
Instead, three armed guards appeared from behind a bush. One of them said, Are you Buster Lee? Buster Lee nodded. Cocking his gun, the guard said, You come with us. After trundling through the jungle in the dark, the guards took Buster Lee and Beck to a well-hidden hut. Inside, waiting for Buster Lee, was his old friend, Supamidar. Shaking Buster Lee's hand, Supamidar said, Even a blind squirrel finds an acorn once in a while. Supamidar gestured his guards to leave. I see the Harvard education served you well, Supamidar, said Buster Lee as he viewed the modern conveniences around the hut. Instant coffee, a radio, and pointing to a wall of firearms. Weapons too, said Buster Lee. You've got all the modern stuff. You're not at all what they say you are. What's it all about, Supa? Looking at the candle on the table, Supa said, It's a utopian dream, but it's also about the honey-sweet taste of freedom. That wasn't the case when I returned after Harvard. Colonel Peake made Bokisa a dictatorship. I tried to fight him. But you can see what he did to me. I was exiled and treated like a jungle animal. Come with me, and I'll tell you why. Walking over to a wall map, Supa said, These are our islands. Mixed among them are many nationalities. Peace exists on most of the islands, but here we are divided. Colonel Peak doesn't want to share the wealth, but the people want freedom and prosperity for everyone. Buster Lee asked, Where do the Fieldmores fit in? Supa said, They don't. Buster Lee said, I saw the Fieldmore logo on the dagger used to off Maui Cipriani, and Variety Fieldmore is engaged to Colonel Peak. Hearing that, Supa Maidar swung his magnificent chest around and raised his tone. He accused Buster Lee of lying, of double-crossing him. Supa called his bodyguards, and they threw Buster Lee and back out. Supa spit and said, I never want to see you again, Buster Lee. I never want to see you again. Buster Lee found Variety Fieldmore outside the hotel. He grabbed Variety by the arm and said, Did you find what you were looking for here? Variety said, Stop it, you're hurting me. Buster Lee released his grip on Variety. Smiling, she said, I found his cable to you. You are Supa's friend. Buster Lee said, You'll have to figure it out. You're engaged to Colonel Peak. Variety said, I know, I've tried to stop him. Buster Lee said, I don't believe you. You must believe me, said Variety. You see, I'm really in love with Supa Maidar. What? said Buster Lee. I've been in love with him for months, said the lovely girl. But I've got photographs and memos. I can prove Colonel Peak responsible, and he's working for someone important. Who? said Buster Lee. Variety pivoted and spilled the tea. My father, Albert Fieldmore. Sometimes, when a man achieves great wealth, something terrible happens to him. He had the money, so he looks for something else. Running the island became his mission. After returning from Harvard, Supamidar realized my father and Colonel Peak turned the island into a dictatorship. Super rebelled, and the natives joined him. Buster Lee said, Does Supa know your father is involved? Variety said, No. Does Supa know about your engagement to Colonel Peak? 
No, I thought he might do something foolish. Where is Supermidar now? said Busterly. Looking out the window, Variety raised her lithe arm and said, Take the south road. Go to the end and you'll see a clearing in the jungle. At the end of the clearing is a hut. Turn left, walk 200 meters, turn left again, and look for a cave. Near the entrance, you'll see an ancient statue. The jungles of Boquisa were as hot as a Mexican's lunch and as dangerous as a night in Tijuana. Basterly and Beck followed Variety's instructions to the T. On their way to find Supamidar, Buster Lee discovered a disaster. Slunk behind the steering wheel of a military truck was a soldier. Scattered around the site were boxes of ammo, daggers, and camouflage as medicine, six cases of live bloodthirsty cobras, some 30 feet long. Looking around, Buster Lee understood this was a weapons dispersing spot for the natives. Here is all the evidence against Colonel Peak and Albert Fillmore Supamidar needed. Sprinting like an Impala, Buster Lee ripped off his shirt and bolted like a honeybee to Fillmore Plantation. Buster Lee burst through the door of the Fillmore's mansion. At the top of the stairs was the lovely variety Fillmore held in the manly grip of Supa Midar. Stop it, Supa. Ouch, stop squeezing me so hard, said Variety to Supa. Dragging her down the stairs, Variety said, Buster Lee, I try to explain, but Supa Midar won't listen. Furious as could be, Supa Midar said, Why are you here, Buster Lee? Shaking his fist at Supa Midar, Buster Lee said, To stop you from going back 5,000 years. So, she told you that story too, eh? said Supa Midar. She also told me about the role her father, Albert, played. Supa Midar came down the stairs and thrusting his knife said, I saved your life once with the Moosta Bees, but I would not want to be the one to take it now. Stepping back, Buster Lee said, You ought to think about that wall before you paint it, Supa. Near to here is a truck with all the evidence you need to form a new government. Supa dropped the dagger and widened his eyes. Buster Lee took Supa Midar to the truck and showed him the evidence. Colonel Peak and Variety's father, Albert, were behind the enslavement of the people. Standing in the hall of Fillmore Mansion, Supa Midar took his lash and whipped Colonel Peak on his back. With each snap of the scourge, Supa Midar could see a savage magic cycling in Peak's eyes. As the whip fractured every metal on Colonel Peak's jacket, the mask cloaking his ill mind dissolved, and the monster within became visible. Peek's face would scare a dog out of a butcher shop. Do you feel like writing now? said Supamidar. Yes, anything, but please stop it. I can't take any more of your punishment, said the terrified colonel. Faster than a speeding bullet, Supamidar shoved Colonel Peek to the table. His clothing shredded, the exhausted military man signed the letter giving full control of Bokisa to Supamidar. Lars looked over Colonel Peak's shoulder and pointing at his signature said, Feast your eyes on this, Busterly. The colonel has good penmanship for someone so high-strung, glowing like a good deed in a naughty world. Supamidar put his hand on Busterly's shoulder and smiled.
ready to fly home, Buster Lee stood in the departure line of Okisa Seaplane Base. Inside the Sea Otter, readying the flight, were the beguiling Mutkeep News and the quick-witted Lars. At the Seaplane Base to say goodbye were Supa Midar and Variety Fillmore. Reaching in his bag, Supa Midar handed Buster Lee a small plastic shrunken head. The natives, said Supa, wanted to thank the man responsible for bringing them out of the jungle. Buster Lee eyed the novelty with suspicion. Supa said, don't you like it? They made it for the tourist trade. Buster Lee said, thank goodness, for a minute I thought it's someone I knew. Leaning over, Buster Lee dangled the plastic novelty at Beck. Minutes later, the sea otter gathered speed and quickly moved across the water. From the corner of his eye, Buster Lee saw another billboard for the Finch wireless mobile phone. It was a global advertising campaign. Still, thought Buster Lee, who would carry a phone everywhere? Denouement. In the dimly lit, luxurious passenger cabin of the sea otter, might keep news and Lars slumbered like cats. Hearing a noise, Beck opened an eye and looked around. Nothing there, nothing here. Beck had been thinking about the Musta bees recently. Maybe he was thinking about the Musta bees too much. Looking out the window of the sea otter, Beck noticed the clouds were lit under a serious moonlight. Then lightning struck. plane trembled. You've been listening to The Mysterious World of Buster Lee, presented by Adam Ive. Mystery World theme by Oliver Wickham. Follow us on Instagram. Go ampersand pod underscore planet. For show notes and merch, go to podplanet.org. Special thanks to Tattoo Sound and Music. The Mysterious World of Buster Lee is written and produced by podplanet.org. 